Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 440. What's worth actually spending extra money for on your Royal Caribbean cruise? There's a lot of different options you can choose from, but which are the ones that I think are totally worth your money? I've got a list of the ones that I think are worth your money and not worth your money on this week's episode. Here we go. Every vacation dollar counts, and a lot of times people really want to know what is truly worth spending extra for on a cruise. When you go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, your cruise fare includes a lot of things, but not everything by any means. And there's a lot that you can choose from in order to add on to your cruise. And I like to think that the idea of making your cruise as inclusive or uninclusive as you'd like is an advantage that cruising has, especially on Royal Caribbean, in the sense that I might want a drink package, but other people might not want it. And in my opinion, if something is included, quote unquote, you are paying for it one way or another. So the opportunity to only pay for the experiences and add-ons that you want is an advantage. I don't think it goes into that realm of nickel and diming. Nickel and diming truly is essentially is about you know things that would have otherwise been included, but you're paying extra for, or more likely things that used to be included that you're now paying extra for, right? Luggage on an airplane, classic example of that. When it comes to cruising, you know, Rokram has never been an all-inclusive cruise line, right? There are all-inclusive cruise lines, and those cruise lines cost significantly more than a Royal Caribbean cruise, but we're not here to talk about that. We're talking about what things are truly worth spending extra for. So I wanted to have a list of things that I think you probably would consider spending extra for, and I say that because this is really a subjective question, right? I can sit here and spend two hours talking about why you should get a drink package or why you should do this particular experience or any of these things. But if it's not of interest to you, if you're not a drinker, if you're not interested in doing a certain activity, it doesn't matter. But the bottom line is I wanted to share the things that I think are, generally speaking, reasonably worth it for most people because there's a compelling argument for spending that extra money on. Certainly, you can go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, not buy any of these extra add-ons, and still have a good time. It's just a matter of either taking advantage of the way you like to cruise or enhancing your cruise because in a lot of cases, things I'm going to be talking about today are splurges or ways to kind of plus up the cruise experience because you're on vacation. There is a certain mentality, in my opinion, a certain opinion that, you know, you're you're there to have a good time. You're there to relax and forget all your troubles and cares. And when you're forgetting all your troubles and cares, you're not doing everything like you would do at home. You know, the notion of like, you know, I'm at home. I'm going to go back to the drink package for a second here. When I'm at home, I might have, you know, one beer a week, if that, right? That's totally me. I rarely drink at home, but when I'm on a cruise, I like to splurge a little bit. Sure, I'll have a drink at the pool. Not because I really need one, because I want one, because why not, right? That's essentially why where this list is coming from. But I do think there are some things that generally are just aren't worth it in any sense of it, and I'll talk about that more. But let's start off with number one, and this, I think, is something that, you know, some of you might balk at why this was even in the list to begin with, but it is worth mentioning that is shore excursions. When you go on a cruise, a big draw of this particular type of vacation going on a cruise is being whisked away to different ports of calls from the comfort of your ship. You wake up one morning and bam, you're in a new place, right? New country, new port, new city. With that in mind, what you do on shore, I think, is a major component to the vacation and what you should be spending your money on after the cruise fair is probably a really cool shore excursion. The ports you visit offer a variety of things to do, from snorkeling to ziplining to food tours to nature hikes and a lot more. In in short, the places your ship will visit gives you a glimpse, a taste of the very best you can experience spending money on a tour that takes you somewhere beautiful or maybe immerses you in another culture is a worthwhile cost. This is a big part of cruising. I've, you know, cruising has changed a lot over the years, but the idea that you have 
the cruise ship experience, and then you have the shoreside experience, those two are very much mutually inclusive. So whether you book a shore excursion through Royal Caribbean or on your own, that's a whole other conversation for another day. I really believe every cruiser should allocate extra room in their vacation budget for what you're going to be doing on shore through the shore excursions. That isn't to say you need to do a shore excursion in every single port, nor does it to say that you need to do a shore excursion in ports in which you've done a bazillion other things or you just want to simply walk around on your own. But I do think there is a lot of value in booking a tour and exploring. It's a big part of what makes cruising, I think, lots of fun. And whether it's a port you've been to many times or when you're going to for the very first time, I really enjoy going on these tours and finding something new and different or revisiting things that I absolutely love. You know, we go to Costa Maya and I've been there probably a half dozen times. I think almost always we end up going to Maya Chan, which is a great all-inclusive resort. I've talked about this on the podcast before and certainly on realcreenblog.com. And I just like going there. I really enjoy it. There's other things to do in Costa Maya. I definitely recognize that. But at the same time, I'm also, I the heart knows what it wants. And in this situation, I just like that. Whereas in other ports, San Juan, Puerto Rico, Nassau, Bahamas, I'll mix it up. I'll do other things. I'll, you know, try to find a new tour here and there to, even though I've had ones that I've, I've enjoyed, that's kind of the appeal there. Next up of things I think are worth it is specialty dining. And there is plenty of fantastic complimentary food, including your cruise fare. But I think there's also a great deal of equally awesome food and, and cooking styles that are not otherwise available on the ship to enjoy in specialty dining. And, you know, specialty dining on Royal Caribbean has gone from a little neat little side offering to a major component of the dining experience on board. And you don't need to eat at a specialty restaurant at all during your cruise. But I do think it is worth it to indulge in a restaurant or two or the unlimited dining package during your cruise, which is a fantastic way to, I think, enhance the vacation. The reason why I feel this way is I think specialty dining is compelling as something that's truly worth spending your money because, quite frankly, the advent of the dining packages. I think that really has been a game changer in taking specialty dining from a, you know, that's going to cost me a pretty penny to an affordable expense. Dining packages allow you to enjoy multiple or, as I mentioned earlier, unlimited especially restaurants, for really about half the price of paying for them individually. The dining packages are advertised as being able to save money on them, and I'm telling you this right now, it will absolutely save you money compared to if you try to eat at the same amount of restaurants paying the cover charge. So if you plan on spending extra on specialty dining, I think also investing in a dining package will help you reap greater rewards and make it a far more affordable experience. More often than not, we get a dining package on most ships we go on. I really can't recall a time recently where we did not have a dining package. I'm pretty sure on every single cruise we've gone on this uh, is since the restart in 2021. We've had a dining package, but you know, beyond that, the reason why we get a dining package is because of course the specialty dining is just that darn good. I really enjoy it. There are certain restaurants I like more than others. And sometimes there's new restaurants that are out there and it's exciting to see, but I got to tell you, I very much have been drawn to the specialty restaurants, not because I don't love the main dining room or the Windjammer. I actually like both venues quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I sometimes I actually wouldn't mind spending a whole cruise going there. But, you know, my wife really enjoys specialty dining. And I like having a little mixing it up a little bit, especially with different cooking cuisines, whether it's hibachi, sushi, Mexican at Sabor, uh, whether it is, you know, uh, just a great cut of steak. There's a lot of good reasons to go specialty dining. So I think it's definitely worth it. Next on my list is the escape room, and I think the this might be the best activity that's been added to Royal Caribbean ships in recent years. I really like the escape room games. It's available on more and more Royal Caribbean cruise ships now, but these are essentially time challenges where 
you and a team of other guests compete to solve a series of riddles and clues that will quote unquote unlock the sequence of the primary puzzle. Thus, you can escape the room, right? Uh, Royal Caribbean has, did a great job, I think, in teaming up with one of the uh, leaders in the escape room game market. And in every escape room I've ever done on any Royal Caribbean ship, the challenge and entertainment value has been really through the roof. So escape rooms come with additional costs to them, but I think they're so well-developed and, and themed that I think it is actually worth the money because it's a great challenge, something different to do. Typically, when you go on a cruise, you know, there are certain activities I think a lot of us so associate with going on a cruise, the stereotypical cruise experiences. There's nothing wrong with those. I love those experiences, but at the same time, I like mixing it up and having something a little bit different without going too far overboard in the sense of, you know, just being way out there, right? But I think the escape room is a really fun thing to do, and I really, really do enjoy that. So I've got the escape room on there. I also have two other things on my list that I think are worth the price. The drink packages, again, as I mentioned earlier, the drink package is going to be subject, highly subjective because you've got to be somewhat of a drinker in the sense that, you know, you don't have to be a, a fall down drunk by any means. You just have to be able to want to indulge uh, every day of your cruise. And if you can drink enough every day of your cruise, there's no doubt that a beverage package will save you money. If your cruise visits Coco Key or Labadee, the value proposition increases dramatically, in my opinion, because of the fact that you're spending all day there and your drink packages work there as well. I'm a really big fan of what they offer. The convenience factor. For years, I was kind of like, you know, hot and cold on the drink packages and mostly cold on them. But for me, what really sold me was two things, the budgetary aspect of it and the convenience factor. So when I purchased it before the cruise, all my drinks are paid for flat fee. I can purchase it beforehand via the cruise planner website, prepay it, lock in the price. You know, I'm not getting a giant bill. And then of course, the convenience factor. I got it. If you have a drink package, it makes ordering drinks and enjoying drinks so much easier. You're not sitting there in the bar or at the pool deck and thinking to yourself, oh, I want a drink. Well, I wouldn't mind a drink, but I don't want to pay extra for it. Maybe I'll wait another hour and then I can save some money. Like I hated that game. So for me, I do think the drink packages are worth it. Granted, if you, you know, if you don't drink at all, I, there are some people who don't do that. It may not be worthwhile for you. And the other one, of course, is Wi-Fi on board. You know, I'm, well, this may come as a shock to some of you. If you're driving, I advise you to pull over to the side of the road. I'm a bit of a geek. I know it's shocking and I do love the internet, but if you like to be as connected as I am and being able to check in constantly with what's happening, you know, an internet package is a great option. I remember the old days before unlimited internet packages. When we first started realcrimeblog.com, this was back in the days of where you had to buy minutes on the internet and it was incredibly slow and it only worked in a couple places. You had to go to like, you know, the centrum or, a, a public venue, right? It wasn't working everywhere. And that all has changed. And now the price has been reasonable for Voom. You know, it's not dirt cheap. It's not free, obviously. But it's an affordable price, quite frankly. Paying, if you purchase it before the cruise, especially on the cruise planner, you'll probably end up paying like, you know, 15 to $18 per person per day for, or per device, I should say, per day for the internet package. I think that's quite a reasonable cost considering where it used to be. You know, and it works significantly better than it used to uh, back in the day. So again, if you're interested in being online, I think the internet package is worth it. So where should you save your money? Now, this first one I have on here, full disclosure, I don't actually follow this advice for this one, and that is the casino. Logically speaking, <laughs> logically is the key word here, the casino is somewhere that statistics show you're more likely to lose your money than win it back. Sure, the casino can be fun, especially if you start winning, but if there's one place you ought to skip and spend your money elsewhere, it's probably the casino. 
I go there because, well, certainly I go in there because I think I might win some money, but I also go there for the entertainment factor. In the same way my kids go to the arcade or I go to a baseball game, right? You're you're spending money for a limited experience for entertainment, knowing full well you're not going to get that money back, right? Now, granted, the casino, you could win your money back, and I gamble responsibly. I don't, you know, drop thousands of thousands of dollars in there. I just, you know, go in there. We might drop, you know, maybe my wife and I will drop 100 bucks each, maybe 20 bucks each, who knows? And we give it a go. But if you're looking for ways to, you know, where should you or not, should you not spend your money? Well, logically, the casino is not the place to do that because you're more likely to lose your money than win it back. But hey, it's entertainment at the end of the day. But one area I do think is absolutely not worth your money is the art auctions. You know, art auctions are something that's been on cruises forever. I never understood it. And unfortunately, art auctions have always carried a terrible reputation in terms of long processes and times and let's put it this way, subjective opinions on perceived values of art pieces. I just don't think it's worthwhile. I'm not against art. I think buying art is fine. I think you should probably go buy art in an art gallery. I think you should buy art because you think it's going to look nice on your wall. I don't think buying art for an investment standpoint or a more, more to the point, you're buying art because it's valued at a higher price, but you're going to get in on it at a lower price. I just don't buy into any of that stuff. So I don't think art auctions are worthwhile as well. And the last thing I don't think is worth it is the key. And I got to tell you, this one's going to get a lot of opinions on this. Strong ones, especially. I just don't love it. The key is this VIP access program you can buy into where for a daily cost for everybody in your stateroom who's uh, six years old and older, you can get access to the key benefits. And the key certainly sounds like a good investment for a lot of cruises, especially maybe those who are new to Royal Caribbean, because it offers benefits and access that might otherwise not be available to them. But in my experience, having done this before and since the pandemic, I have found the benefits sound a lot better on the surface than they really are. Many benefits can be obtained in a different way, but without having to spend extra money for it, or the benefits just simply are not as lucrative as they sound. Great example of these. You can get an early check-in time. Well, yeah, you can get it through the key, or you could just simply you know, make sure you get an early check-in time by getting a check-in time when the app first opens up for a check-in window and you'll get an early time. The Welcome Lunch at Chops Grill can be bought separately without the key anyway. Private time and onboard activities tend to be very limited. It sounds like a cool idea, but when I was on Odyssey of the Seas, there were just two times that you had access to them, and they were less than ideal times, and one of them was like the rock climbing wall, and it's like, well, I say this in the nicest way possible. Nobody cares about the rock climbing wall. It's not a high-demand attraction on board, right? And then, of course, you know reservations for shows because the key offers reserved seats. Well, you can make reservations for shows on your own as well. The only perk that is truly unobtainable on your own uh, without the key uh, is to drop off your carry-on luggage on embarkation day. Of course, this benefit lasts at most two hours before your cabin is available to you. So I think the value is really, really limited for that one. You know, there's an argument to be made depending on the ship you're on, especially Oasis or Quantum Class ships, that perhaps the key has more value to it. But one of the things that really I just would never do is the key says in order for you to have reserved seating, you need to arrive 45 minutes early to the theater, which is insane. 45 minutes sitting in the theater waiting for the show to start. That's not a benefit. That's a detriment. And I, I just think that, you know, while the key does include Voom Internet, of course, again, that's a major component of it. You're going to buy Internet anyway. Well, you know, that's the bulk of the cost of it. For one thing, it doesn't scale very well along families, right? It's fine for you or maybe your spouse, but do your kids really need an internet package? You can be forced to get it as part of the key if you get them in the, if they're staying in the same room. And you know, the multi-device internet plans can actually be a better value overall. 
I do think the key can be a good choice for someone who's going to buy internet access no matter what and is selling on a ship with a lot of shows they want to see and not a lot of people in their room with them. But having tried it myself, I just don't think it's worthwhile for most people simply because the benefits look better on paper than they are in practice. So maybe you have to experience it for yourself to understand that rationale, but I'm just not a big fan of that. So there's my list of things that I think that are really totally worth spending extra for on a Royal Caribbean cruise. You know, it's it's about splurging at the end of the day. And whether you're splurging on something I recommended or something different, as long as it makes you happy and you're comfortable with spending the money, great. What this list is really about is people who have no idea what to expect from any of these things. And, you know, they're going into it wondering, is it worth their time? In that scenario, I hope this list proves helpful to you. But again, please, if you enjoy going to art auctions, if you love the key, more power to you. I think that's fantastic. I just think in general, someone who's coming into it brand new, I would advise them against it. That's all. Time to answer our listener emails. This is the part of the episode where you can email me and I'll answer your cruise question right here on the podcast. If you want to do so, just send an email to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com and I'll read your email on the air. Our first email is from Alana who writes, Hey Matt, I'm a new listener to your podcast since we've just started considering cruising as a family. I'm enjoying going through old episodes and learning all about cruising. I have a handful of questions for you. So if you have resource suggestions, I'd welcome them. A little background, my husband and I just live outside of Seattle and are new to cruising. I went on one cruise when I was a teen and he's never been. We have a four-month-old baby right now and have started to consider a cruise to Alaska since that means we can drive to the port in Seattle. We are thinking of July, August, or September, so my daughter will be about 10 to 12 months old in that time frame. So here are my questions for you. Number one, is it worth considering a cruise to Alaska with a baby, or would we be better off waiting till she's a little bit older? It's a great question, and this can be applied to any destination anywhere. I think it's absolutely worthwhile. As a parent, you want to take your kids on, give them positive experiences, right? The idea, some people will say, well, your baby's never going to remember anything. Wait until she's like, you know, eight years old and then go. That doesn't matter. You want to give her positive experiences and also that your life's not on hold either. Just because they won't remember it doesn't mean you can't have a great family experience. You're going to remember it and you're going to have a great time together. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I don't think the idea that being able to remember the experience like should factor into your decision to go or not. I think it's absolutely worthwhile. And at that age, actually, they're very easy to travel with until they get a little bit older and they start talking back to you. <laughs> so I think it's absolutely worthwhile. My only suggestion, I don't think this would be a problem. I think all the ships have it, but just make sure the ship has a nursery on board. Certainly, if you're going out of Seattle, we're talking about Ovation of the Seas or Quantum of the Seas. No problem there. Go on Ovation. I think it'll be good. Lana uh, wants to know, she's got a lot of questions. So we're going to get through as many as we can. Does Royal Caribbean offer the most for a family with a baby, or are there other lines with similar amenities? From my initial research, Royal Caribbean seems to offer the most, but I'm interested in your opinion. Absolutely. I think they do a great job with, with families. I've taken both my kids when they were six months old. Obviously, I've not sold on Princess or some of the other cruise lines that offer these experiences, but I think for Royal Caribbean, I mean, compared to Princess, I think even the most ardent Princess cruiser would probably point you to Royal Caribbean if you've got younger children. So I'm going to go on that one. Uh, Lana writes, there are two Royal Caribbean ships to cruise from Seattle, Elevation, Quantum. Are there any advantages or disadvantages to cruising one or the other with a baby to Alaska? Or are they relatively equal and should we should book the best that we can find? Both are Quantum class ships. The reason why I said earlier Ovation of the Seas is because it's just a little bit of a newer ship. All things being equal, I'd pick Ovation. I bet you Quantum would be a little bit cheaper. Not a problem. Just make sure. It, I think it has a nursery. I can't imagine it doesn't, but that's the only other thing you want to do. Do you have any tips for cruising with a baby other than bring more supplies than you think you're going to need and bring an umbrella stroller since that's all I've heard so far in my research? Yeah, bring way more supplies than you think you need. Umbrella, stroll. I, my wife and I would get a fight about this every time. I wouldn't say don't even bring a stroller because they're just useless. They take up room 
and on a cruise ship, you're never going to use them. On land, you can make an argument for it. I would argue, actually, on land, in some scenarios, you may actually want to leave your child in the nursery so you and your husband can explore. Again, your baby's, you know, 10 to 12 months old. Not only is she not going to remember much of the cruise, if anything, it's going to be lost on her a lot of these things. It'll, it'll basically free you up to do some amazing things. I'm not saying every single port you leave her in the nursery, but you can leave her in the nursery. To that point, having the nursery and leaving her on board might be a good tip for you. I know it's a little weird. I remember the first time we left our kids in the nursery. We felt like the worst parents in the world. And now I, I don't even bat an eye at leaving my kids on board the ship while we go on an short, short excursion. Sometimes it's advantageous. Plus, they can stay on the sleeping schedule, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, uh, beyond that, I mean, I would simply say uh, have your travel agent uh, request a pack and play in the room. And for the pack and play, um, I would recommend getting we we learned this the hard way. Uh, you can purchase like on Amazon. These they're not toppers, but they're basically like a sheet, like an extra fitted, like extra loose sheet. So you can put uh, basically like a blanket or something underneath in between, like between the, the bottom of the pack and play and the sheet itself. The reason being it cushions it more. I remember on some ships, the pack and play can be very hard and that can make it a little more difficult for the baby to sleep. So having a little more of a padded cushion, you might not even put something in between. If memory serves me correctly, perhaps these extra pads you put on the back of, bottom of a pack and play end up are, are cushioned themselves. But that might be one other tip I can think of. And the other thing, oh, stockpile milk. Um, uh, there is milk on board your ship, but at nighttime, uh, it's generally hard to find cartons of milk. So in the morning when the windjammer is stocked with them, take a couple extra, bring it back to your room, put it in your, uh, in your stateroom fridge. Keeping in mind, by the way, that I would only keep it for like 24 hours in there. The fridge doesn't, it's not like a freezer. And it's certainly not, it's more of a chill than a, than a fridge. Anyway, for like, you know, for later that night, essentially you want to have that stockpile. Of those would be good ideas. Uh, right now, unvaccinated kids only get off the ship in ports on a cruise-sponsored tour. Are there excursions in Alaska ports that would be fun for all of us to do? Or would we be better off leaving her at the nursery when we go in the port if the ship offers a nursery? Talked a little bit about this before. In terms of the vaccination part, one thing to keep in mind is that Alaska is part of the United States. It's different protocols in the U.S. than it is on other countries. As an example, if your cruise is going right now to Port Canaveral, like your stop was in Port Canaveral or Miami, you would be able to get off the, the ship with your unvaccinated child. Uh, that being said, I don't know what the protocols will or will not be in Alaska, but I would simply say that there's nothing wrong with a cruise sponsor tour. But again, it's okay. I would say there's some excursions to bring your kid on, but if you see one that looks really cool, but you're like, you know, bringing the kid is not going to be a great idea. Leaving them in the nursery would not be a terrible idea as well. Uh, we Would we be missing out on seeing the city, town, part of Alaska by only doing an excursion and not being able to walk around, have lunch at a brewery, etc.? It depends on your opinion. I mean, there's certainly a good argument to be made. I don't think you're like, <laughs> I don't think you're spending the, you know, the whole day in a gift shop and missing out on a truly immersive experience in, you know, by not being able to go on your own. There are certain towns like Skagway is a great example of a town you absolutely want to explore on your own, but it also wouldn't be the end of the world without it. Again, weigh what the excursion is, what you want to do and be realistic with your expectations. You know, with kids knowing their limits ahead of time is like there are some tours we've done and my kids seem to have a thousand percent energy and other ones where we've just realized they've hit a wall and they'll never admit it but we know that they've hit that wall and we need to take a break now so you know it, either way uh lana says if we cruise in july we can probably only afford an interior cabin if we cruise in september we can able to afford a balcony what are your thoughts on the trade-off having an interior room with baby but better weather and wildlife opportunities having a balcony but possibly rainy and cold weather Keep in mind, by the way, this is a great question. 
it can rain throughout the year. Just because it's July doesn't mean it's not going to rain. In fact, in Alaska, it will rain, but not all day. It's very much, it'll rain for an hour, sun comes out, rain again, the sun comes out. It's rarely a all-day soaker. I would not plan your cruise around what the possible weather could be. I also would not assume July is going to be perfect weather by any means. I would go with September. It's cheaper. You can get a better room. It's going to be less crowded in general. July is peak season. Not that there's anything wrong with peak season, but if you have, if you have that flexibility, go in September. It's. I think there are distinct advantages. The fact it might rain or likely will rain on you. I don't see that as a negative. That's just part of it. That's the Alaska experience. You should embrace it. Pack accordingly. Bring waterproof clothing and a waterproof backpack. I think you'll have a great time. And Lana also wants to know, would it be worth contacting a travel agent at this point to see what our options are? Or should we wait till we know definitely want to book a cruise? No, contact the travel agent right now. I would say it's a great idea because travel agents are there to help you out. It's not about, you're not wasting their time. This is a long play for travel agents, right? So let them know what you're thinking about. They give you prices, ideas. You can bounce ideas back and forth. I certainly answer some questions here, but they can answer even more, especially if they're a good agent and have been to Alaska before. I would definitely recommend reaching out to a travel agency to get the ball rolling on it. That way, when you are ready, bam, it's just, you know, it, it takes the time of processing significantly down. Next, we have an email from uh, Jennifer Frankie who writes, Hello, my husband and I recently discovered your podcast and enjoy listening. We love cruising and are excited to return at the end of May on Harmony of the Seas. We want to book an Alaska cruise for June 2023. We want to know, what would you do? Normally, we book on ship for our next cruise, but we've also heard to book Alaska cruise as soon as possible. Should we book now or wait for our cruise in May to do it on board? By the way, we used your travel agency for our upcoming cruise and are blown away. Thanks for all you do. Jennifer, thanks for the email. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, MEI Travel. I would definitely recommend booking now. In fact, I, in general, Jennifer, never wait to book on board. Um, there is a bonus for booking on board the cruise. You're going to get extra onboard credit and a reduced deposit. But the reason why you want to book your cruise in advance is you want to lock in the price now. If you wait, especially to May, my goodness, the price is likely to go up between now and May. Lock in the price now. The reason to book a cruise on board is you're literally, when you're sitting on board the ship, when you're on Harmony of the Season in May, and you look at your husband and say, wouldn't it be great to book another cruise? And he'll say, of course. And then, then you go to next cruise and then you book a cruise because then you're getting extra bonus money for booking it. But when you're at home and you're not on a cruise, more than likely, you, the price is going to go up if you wait. So I would absolutely recommend booking now. It's definitely the way to go about it. It's a great question, for Je great question Jennifer. <laughs> Thank you for the email. And uh, our next email is from Brian Wall. I was here thinking tonight about the mask policy. I know you don't always try to, I know you always try to give the company a fair shake, as do I. However, the videos I'm seeing online from the Atlantis Charter that are violating many rules that the company has on regular cruises related to health and safety. No masks inside, zero social distancing. And I've literally even seen a video of shenanigans uh, easily visible to crew members between two people. This sailing is pretty wild compared to what we're used to. It makes Royal Caribbean look bad because it shows that management policies are situational. Tickets on an Atlanta cruise are two to three times the normal cost. In addition, you can't buy the drink package. Alcohol is a large source of income for the sailing. It's a license for them to make money, which I agree with. But don't try to say that the health and safety policies are grounded in science when they can be waived in certain situations. I'm just shaking my head here all week watching the video after video of violations of the healthy sail panel recommendations. I'm happy that they're having a good time and enjoying the Royal Caribbean cruise, but I wish they had the same privileges on my sailings. The recommendations by the healthy sail panel should be consistent, system-wide, and not able to carve out special exceptions for high-revenue cruises. Brian, I agree 100%. I, <laughs> I, your, your last sentence here, the recommendation by the healthy sail panel should be consistent, system-wide, 
and not able to carve out special exceptions for high revenue cruises. Brian's, by the way, talking about, I should have specified this. He's talking about a charter that occurred. Uh, this is now is recording this podcast uh, three weeks ago, I think. And uh, I don't care what the charter is for. It could be a country music charter. This was in this case, this was a, this was a, a gay cruise, but I don't care what it's for. The rules should be the rules, especially when it comes to health policies. They should be consistent for every single sailing period. Um, they're grounded in science. They're that's what they're about. You can't say, well, this is a charter cruise and they're paying us, you know, X amount to not have that. I just sorry, don't buy that. That's the law of the land. I, I just don't know why they would go in a different direction. And I'm with Brian on this one. I want consistency. So I'm with you on that one, buddy. Thanks for the uh, email. Next email is from Lori, who writes, hi, Matt, longtime listener here, currently on Harmony of the Seas, along with your roving reporter, though I haven't met her. Anyway, you may have heard that we had an announcement on our St. Thomas stop being was being canceled. And then the captain informed us that it was no longer being canceled. We had a wonderful stop at St. Thomas today. Several people while ashore were told by a tour operator that we were able to stop there because St. Thomas had changed their threshold from 1% to 3% for the amount of COVID cases on board. Not sure if this is true or just a rumor. Maybe you can find out more, but thought you might be interested. Thanks for all you do sharing your expertise of cruising. Well, Lori, thanks for the email. Thanks for the update. Of course, we heard a little bit about this in last week's episode with Jenna. And it's great to hear that. I, I, my, my hope was, you know, the, I thought the islands were just being having a lot of knee-jerk reactions uh, to a lot of media coverage. And they just started canceling port stops because cruise ship's bad, evil. You know, and we know that's not really the case. And I think that uh, St. Thomas's policy, if they have changed the threshold from 1%, 3%, great. Uh, I think that's more realistic and you know, I, I think it's still a responsible manner of they're not, this is in the wild west. They're still being responsible, but they're being realistic as well. So, um, I'm glad you were able to go Lori. And, uh, I'm glad even better to hear that you had a great time on board. That's fantastic. Or on shore, I should say, and on board. Why not? And our last email for today, we got a lot of great emails here. Uh, we're going to go with an email from, uh, Laura who writes, hi Matt, my husband and I just took our six kids ages two to 13 on a Christmas cruise out of Baltimore on enchantment of the seas. It was amazing. Even though it isn't one of the most glamorous ships in the fleet, it was perfect for our family trip. The one thing we were disappointed about was how cold the water was. The pools on the ship and the water cookie were all super cold. My question is, when's the best time to cruise when the water is warm, but also not crazy hot outside? Ah, uh, Laura. Yeah, so Laura's talking about, you know, going swimming, right? And the pool water, the seawater. When is it going to be warmer, but not like August when it's a thousand degrees outside and just not comfortable, right? I'm with you on that, Laura. Trust me, somebody who hates sweating. I'm with you on that one. So uh, the best time, I would probably say it's coming up soon. You know, January and February can be a little questionable. March, it starts to get warm enough, Laura, where you're probably in a safe spot. So I would probably say anywhere between March through certainly October into November timeframe is fine. Usually, again, it depends on when these cold fronts start hitting, you know, going lower into the tropics where you can start seeing the temperatures drop. This year, I remember we were on a cruise on in November and we went to Kokoki and it was already a little chilly out there. My wife didn't had no tolerance for it. I went in anyway because I was like, yo, I just got used to it. But um, I would say that uh, March, that's already spring break, don't forget. So I would say, but the, the best months are definitely March and April. Early May is not bad. You know, May can be a little hit or miss, but after that, the humidity really starts to arrive. But I would say March and April are some of the best months for comfort levels. November uh, is is still pretty good. December, early December can be good. It really depends. You know, the problem November, December is it's unknown when like essentially the winter season arrives in, in the tropics. I've seen some years where it arrives in October. This year it was like 
early November, late October. I remember actually Halloween. I'm living in Florida, which is the subtropics, but I remember Halloween was like one of the first like really cooler days. The humidity finally dropped and it was like perfect timing because it was Halloween. Um, you know, in other years, it's been like around Christmas. I remember 20, if I'm not mistaken, 2020, I swear winter didn't arrive until literally Christmas Day in terms of the temperatures breaking from their summer temperatures. So, you know, it can be very much hit or miss. But if I was a best time, you want comfortable weather outside, warm weather, not hot, not sticky. I would probably lean towards uh, definitely March or April would be my maybe early May if you want to. It's going to be humider, not as bad as later in the year, but it'll be certainly warm. That'd be my picks right there. Laura, thank you for your email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your questions, you can do so by sending them to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. I'll answer as many as we can. Thank you all for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.